0: Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Toronto Blue Jays last night. Getting it done by the I don't know. I was gonna say a thing. I don't know if I'm allowed to say on radio. Uh it was a close one. It was a tight one. They didn't win it by a lot. They won two to one. They take the series against the San Francisco Giants. Third consecutive series they've won. And uh, as much as it has not felt like it, and as much as I said the wrong record on air last night, Jays ha- are tied for the best record in June here. Now I said a number, I said a record yesterday that is too many games. It's too, it's more days than there are in the month of June, so that one wasn't accurate. But uh, sixteen and ten here uh, in the month, they're up to forty five and thirty seven overall as we continue to check in this week at the midway point of the season. They're holding on to the final wild card spot right now. Half a game back of the Yankees for the second wild card spot. Still 10 back in the division. And as much as uh, John Schneider may continue to remind us, it's only the halfway point. It's only June still. Um, and a lot can happen there, which it can. It's entirely possible. The Jays could win 56 games in the second half. And Tampa Bay could only win 45. Uh, they are where they are. And as we check in at the midway point here, it's nice to see the Blue Jays playing a, a little bit better baseball. The Bats... Not particularly alive yet. Um, Wednesday's, you know, first inning notwithstanding, they've continued to not do a lot with runners in scoring position. There there hasn't been a ton of home run power. But they keep finding ways to win. Three series victories in a row. And again, they're tied for the best record uh, in the month of June here. They'll get one more chance to pad that tonight as the Boston Red Sox come to town. Last night's game had a, not a cloud hanging over it, but... I was on the call with Ben Wagner on the radio side. And as we're doing the first two innings, Major League Baseball is rolling out the All-Star starters and are the results of those votes. There were a ton of 7 o'clock games around baseball last night. Who decided those things should be rolled out at 7 o'clock instead of 6.30? I don't really know what the thinking was there. But as we were going, we saw Vladimir Guerrero Jr. lose the final ballot. To start first base for the American League in the All Star game, and we saw Whit Merrifield lose. That one was a little more expected. Saw Bo Bichette lose. That was probably the biggest upset because as good as Corey Seager's been, Bo's played almost twice as much time this year because Corey Seager's dealt with injuries. No Matt Chapman, another minor surprise because even though Chapman, you know, big picture on merit has come back down to earth. Josh Young is uh, is a rookie, and, and you know, generally these things tilt toward vets. And then Kevin Kiermaier, who's who's been out a couple games and, you know, was probably a long shot to get voted in anyway. He doesn't get in either. So the Jays start the day 0 for 5 with all-stars in scoring position. And the offense isn't there a lot. It it felt a lot like Tuesday's game where Kevin Gosman was dominant. And you were waiting to see if the Jays would hang him with a a loss or a no decision. Um, Chris Bassett was maybe the best we've ever seen him yesterday. He gave up three hits and three walks, scattered over six innings. He dealt with some traffic, to be sure. Uh, the Giants had some trouble scoring with runners hitting with runners in scoring position. Bassett deserves some of the credit for that. The defense behind him was pretty solid. Um, also, you know, some of it is just as we've seen on the Blue Jays side. Sometimes you just have a, a tough day hitting with runners in scoring position. Chris Bassett struck out a career high twelve batters. So he had all three versions of his fastball working particularly well. Bit of a different strategy attacking lefties going from pitches that move horizontally to pitches with more vertical break as Chris Black broke down on Twitter uh, at down to black after the game. Alejandro Kirk returning from the IL certainly didn't hurt either. You can put however much or little stock as you like in catcher ERA. It's now a 12-game sample where Chris Bassett has a sub-2 ERA with Kirk behind the plate. Um, we know that the, you know one of the big stories coming into this one was Chris Bassett no longer calling his own game. Going to hand that over to the catcher. So uh, even though Bassett was still very, very involved in the game planning and things like that, uh, Kirk had the call. Kirk's also a really good framer at the low part of the zone and just to the outside of lefties. Maybe those particular zones, uh, and they are the two of the three biggest attack zones for Chris Bassett when he's pitching to lefties. Uh, maybe that stole him an extra strike here and there. Maybe it just gave him a little bit of confidence. The Giants would tell you that they did get a couple strikes stolen from them because early on, JD Davis and Gabe Kapler both got tossed. Uh, Gabe Kapler did a full like, like ultimate warrior sprint down the runway. Uh, to get in the face of the umpire and then got tossed for it. Uh, Kai Correa had to take over there and it still continued. There were a couple times where the umpire had to go over to the Giants' dugout. Nonetheless, Chris Bassett, excellent career high 12 strikeouts against the lefty heavy lineup, no less. Swanson and Mesa do a clean seventh and eighth. Jordan Romano has a shaky ninth, got hit hard a little bit, got I think got bailed out by a pretty ill-advised stolen base attempt. Nobody out coming off of two pretty well-hit balls and the Giants try to steal second base to get the tying run and scoring position. Given how well those first two plate appearances went, given that it was a base running where only has two stolen bases and hadn't even stole double digits in the minors. I don't know. I know Jordan Romano doesn't do the best job controlling the run game and Alejandro Kirk is below average throwing from behind the plate. That still seemed like a gift to the Blue Jays. Either way, Jordan Romano gets through it with just one run allowed. He has not blown a save since May 20th. He's back into a tie for the league lead in saves unless Emmanuel Classe got one uh, last night. On the offensive side, almost nothing. They get three hits and a couple walks scattered around. One of those hits was Dalton Varsho serving bunt. Um, The big one, though, Brandon Belt draws a walk with two out. Sets up Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He'd been hit by a pitch in his last plate appearance and he looked very steamed about it would not even take attention from john schneider and jose Ministral. just a firm walk down to first base not very happy about it during that plate appearance swings at a bad splitter a couple pitches later fouls off a splitter that was high and tight not probably not a location you want to swing at a splitter but given where the count was you could justify swinging and at that point vlad had a little bit of a look on his face Seemed like maybe he'd caught something with the splitter. Timed it up or, or just got the movement. Next pitch, see ya. No doubt about it. A two-run home run for Vlad. That ended up being the deciding uh, plate appearance. Jays win two to one. Those were the only runs they put up. Vlad's had some big clutch moments this year at times. That was the, uh, he's had a couple home runs in big spots. And, uh, uh, you know, a game-winning double down down the left field line at one point. That was the fourth Highest win probability added of any Vlad plate appearance this year. And if that's that new how the rest of the game would play out, uh, it would be even higher because, yeah, that was the entire offense. And Vlad was kind of the story of the day, um, not only because he wasn't voted in as an all star starter, not only because he hit that home run and it's three home runs over the last six games at home. Now, maybe that narrative is behind him a little bit, but also it was revealed that he's going to do the Home Run Derby. He was wearing a Mr. 91 shirt yesterday. He told us that his family had wanted him to do it and get back there. Um, John Schneider is going to pitch to him at the Home Run Derby, as he did in 2019 when Vlad hit 91 home runs in the Derby. Now, there are some concerns at times that, When players do the home run derby, it can, you know, there's a fatigue element or disrupts your swing. Statistically, it's been shown that that's not really the case. Um, Mostly what happens is the guys who make the home run derby are having outlier good first half of the seasons and they just naturally cool off a little bit. However, Vlad's only got 12 home runs. Um, John Schneider kind of got asked kind of tongue in cheek. And then again, a little bit more seriously of could it even help his swing and, you know, the takeaway is a can't hurt. And, and as he gets back to this now, um, you know, it, it's something where I think the biggest complaints about Vlad when he's not hitting for power are that he's a little too ground ball heavy. I don't think a home run derby is going to make you more ground ball heavy. Anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it'll be cool to see Vlad back there. Maybe he hits 91 again and actually wins this time because Pete Alonso leaves him alone. We'll see. Um, it was funny yesterday too. Also he beat Jock Peterson and Matt Chapman in that home run derby, and both of those guys uh, were in the game. Jock Peterson, by the way, first game of the season playing in the outfield. Had some interesting routes in left field, but uh, got the job done. So good for Party Rock Jock there. Jays win 2-1. We'll turn the page to this. Canada weekend series against the Red Sox throughout the show. We're going to talk to Julia Kreutz in a minute here. We've got Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs coming on uh, who did a a deep dive on the defenses around the league. And the Blue Jays grade pretty well, as I'm sure your eye test would agree, especially when it comes to the outfield. Um, Kayla McGrath is going to join us a little later. She had an excellent feature on Matt Chapman last week and what he means to this team. Also had a piece recently on you say Kikuchi's improved pitching and Kikuchi will get that Canada Day start. So we'll check in with Caitlin Uh, and then Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic will be on with us a little later to give up, give us the Red Sox side of things. Uh, That Red Sox side, which includes, and I'm going to push back on this when we talk to Jen McCaffrey. It's not her quote. It's Kenley Jansen's quote, but Brian Baio being called Pedro Jr. Um, I don't know. I, I would... I would go as far as maybe Kevin Gosman Jr because he keeps getting no run support when he's really good for the Red Sox, uh, but we'll see. Right now, Julia Quartz joins us of mlb.com. Julia, how you doing?
1: I'm doing all right, Blake. Uh, happy to be here with you.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Are are you are you at the park most of this Canada Day weekend?
1: Yes, I'll be there. I'll be there for all of it, particularly excited about uh, the ice cream that was promised to me in the press box.
0: Whoa. Uh, what day is this? I, I have to, uh, I, I wasn't intending to be there, but if there's free, I've I've missed free ice cream. So this is bouncing between sports, Julia. This is how it's happened to me. Um, I have, the Raptors have started giving away Raptors branded ice cream at their at wow. events where there are media, like when they introduce a new coach and on draft night and things like that. But I'm not around there anymore. And this weekend, it's more of an NBA weekend for me. And I'm going to miss Blue Jays ice cream. This feels a little unfair.
1: Yeah, you know what? Uh, karma comes in different
0: ways. No, I'm wow. kidding. I'm kidding, Blake. <laughs> wow, unbelievable. Okay, well, we'll just end the segment there, and uh, <laughs> that's it. Um, Julia, so last night's game, you you were down there. I, I know you had uh, you know a couple of days off sprinkled here and there um, for your wedding. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, Chris Bassett. Was pretty darn good yesterday. And, you know, I I sometimes Chris Bassett has a long track record of being solid. But I do worry a little bit sometimes when after a couple bad starts, like this is a guy who really beats himself up in quotes and in body language and stuff like that. Um, When you see players who are that hard on themselves or just people, it doesn't have to be baseball players. uh, Does that give you a little bit of concern about, you know, someone's ability to steer out of it and not let things snowball?
1: Yeah, that's that's very interesting, Blake. I think that um, we have seen that from Chris Bassett from day one. Excuse me. <clears throat> he started his uh, tenure with the Blue Jays, let's say, um, by saying that he hates losing more than he likes winning, right? That was the, one of the first things he said after he, he signed and met with the media. That, to me, is just personality, right? Um, He has the track record. He has shown that he can have success in this league. And it's kind of one of those things that, you know, whatever works for you, for a guy like Vladdy, for example, being that hard on himself is probably not going to do him any good because that's just not the way that he presents himself. That is not the way that he finds that motivation to be better. For Bassett, for some reason, because of his makeup and because of, of, of the way that he is, uh, being hard on himself seems to help, right when he when he um has you know three strikeouts in a row, for example, and then he opens an inning with a with a ball that he thought should have been a strike, uh, he, <laughs> he will yell a little bit and he will be very hard on himself in the moment, and that seems to help him reset and go back and actually execute the next pitch. It's a very weird sight because it's not necessarily what you would expect, right? Uh, you're constantly talking about uh, having players have a short memory and, and not really take the bad moments uh, along with them. But for, Bassett, for some reason, that seems to work.
0: It does. And, you know, he spoke after the game and he said um, it's just a beautiful thing when you know how to handle it with respect to, you know, the challenge of struggling and figuring it out. Um, When you look at last night's start, of course, the 12 strikeouts stand out. You mentioned the ability to kind of get fired up if you didn't get a call or you didn't execute a pitch. What stood out to you about the way he was able to, you know, kind of turn the page on those three starts and get back to being not even get back to me. I think that was the best we've seen Chris Bassett.
1: Yeah. I think that number one thing that we need to, to mention is the fact that he's not calling his own pitches anymore. Mm. Right. So he tried that for a little bit. Pitch calm allows you to do that now. But after that last bad start, he was very, very honest with media after the game and saying, you know what, that's not going to happen anymore. I'm going to hand over the pitch calling duties. Alejandro Kirk comes back into the lineup. Uh, and he did call a pretty darn good game, right? It's not easy to uh, to work with a guy like Chris Bassett. It must be fun, but it can't be easy to work with a guy like Chris Bassett who throws eight different pitches. <clears throat> there's a lot to choose from, and there's a lot uh, of decisions that you have to make. That can get big, but what we saw was uh, – in- and a well executed game plan and also an ability to recognize what it is that isn't necessarily working when Bassett is, you know, allowing those early walks or when he opens the game with a little bit of a, of hard contact there, that there's a, a, a wide repertoire to sort of analyze and, uh, and say, okay, this isn't working. Let's shift to something else. And that's, I think what we saw, um, alejandro kirk and bassett do so well yesterday and that is how they were able to sort of bounce back from a shaky first in the third innings there
0: and we know everyone speaks the world of Danny jansen as a as a game caller and his work behind the plate so this isn't to be negative about him but alejandro kirk and chris bassett do seem to have a, a little bit of a thing going it's been 12 starts now bassett's era is under two when he pitches the kirk now i don't know that you know, that, that is a strong enough stat to expect it to continue forever. Um, but do you think, and, and I know Kirk's a guy that, that you've gotten to know a little bit. Um, do you think at this point, other than the running game, it's fair to say Alejandro Kirk is a little underrated defensively?
1: Yeah, I, I, I do believe so. I, you have to look at the running game and, and, uh, you know, be a little concerned or say that this is an area that, uh, should he should improve that and you know development never stops so it's very possible that Kirk will figure it out and he also had a bad stretch there Blake um he was doing pretty well on that front early on in the year and then something happened and uh that sort of took a turn but you know when you look at pitch blocking abilities when you look at framing abilities Alejandro Kirk is pretty good at uh, He's also a guy that on the other side of the plate will give you consistent at-bats. You will have a, an OBP that is pretty enviable, and he will put the bat on the ball. And so if he can continue to you know, work well with a guy like Chris Bassett, who is uh, you know, pretty much a challenge for whatever catcher he's going to, uh, to work with just because of how many pitches he throws, uh, that puts him in a really, really good position with this organization.
0: And look, the results speak for themselves when it comes to uh, his his chemistry with Bassett. Uh, I mentioned, you know, the 12 starts in the sub-2 ERA. Um, Kevin, this is a a stat from Elias, by the way, Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett each have six games so far with six innings or more and zero earned runs uh, in the first half of the season. That hasn't happened since 1914 with the Boston Red Sox. Surely a, a duo you know well, Julia Dutch, Leonard, and Rube Foster. Um, so whatever whatever the Jays are doing on Gosman and Bassett days um, are working pretty well. We'll get another Gosman day on the weekend when you're down at the park for the the Sunday series finale. You mentioned when you were talking about Chris Bassett that Maybe that hard-on-yourself nature works for someone like Bassett, but it doesn't necessarily work for someone like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, We talked a lot yesterday about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and kind of that fun and encouraging side of things because he is headed back to the home run derby. uh, Mr. 91, as the shirt said. And John Schneider really seemed to feel before the game that this is something that can... I'm paraphrasing here, but loosen Vlad up a little bit, take the weight off a little bit, get back to an environment like that, that that's just about fun and, you know, reminding yourself how good you are and who your peers are. Do you subscribe to that belief? You think this can be a nice little midseason exhale for Vlad, whatever the result of the derby?
1: I sure do. Uh, I think that just uh, being around that environment, um, working with your manager on that, you know, that in itself brings some levity and brings some uh, some chemistry-building opportunity. Guerrero is a guy that likes to have fun, and that plays so well into his game. Uh, sometimes uh, that can seem a little bit immature, maybe, or it can come across as, oh, you know, is his work ethic in the right place? Yes, it is. This is what Guerrero needs to do in order to sort of be himself and uh, and perform. Uh, if you talk to him, even when he's, you know, laughing or dancing or whatever, and, and you talk to him about his game, one of the very first things he will say is, I'm going to keep working. I'm not there yet. I'm not going to get complacent, right? So this is not... Uh, these things are not mutually exclusive, so if about him going into the derby we know how much fun that was right a couple of years ago and we know um, how how much fun he had specifically Those, that was uh, one of the most memorable moments of boujay's tenure so far and so there is uh, some clear benefit in him going ahead and doing that. He will probably deal with some fatigue afterwards. Mm-hmm. We know that the derby can be uh, taxing on the body. It's a, it's a pretty big moment, and, and players have spoken about that in the past. But at the same time, it does seem like this is something that uh, Vladi can actually benefit from from a mental standpoint. It's, uh, it's about staying true to himself, and it's about sort of finding himself over and over again. And whatever he's doing right now he should probably keep doing, right? He has been really, really good, Blake, after, you know, waiting, I believe it was 31 games or something like that to uh, to hit a home run in his in his home ballpark. So uh, this should be a pretty fun moment. Uh, I'm sure, you know, it's funny, looking at that swing yesterday, the home run, that left the bat at 111 miles <laughs> per hour and uh, traveled pretty far. It's uh, it, it was easy to see, you know, as he's, watch that ball go one he, uh he had just been plunked right a few <laughs> innings before yep. in the ribs and, and I'm sure that there was a, a feeling of vindication a little bit after that and I wouldn't be surprised if there was also a feeling of vindication about not being elected a, a starter at the all-star game right so he he loses that out before the game and uh, maybe goes in with a little bit of something to prove and he sure did
0: yeah, he sure did. And maybe this is a lesson to John Schneider who will throw him the pitches at the home run derby. Maybe hit him with one early on to get him really, uh, really fired up there. You're right, though. He is hitting extremely well right now. Over the last month, he's top five in the American League and basically every batted ball thing, hard hit rate, exit velo, expected weighted on base average, all that stuff that we know about, but the, the results haven't quite been there until the last couple of games, three home runs at home over the last six, nine RBI over those last six games. Julia, this is a weird one, and it's lowering the bar a little bit, but it really stood out to me when Ben Shulman told me this stat yesterday. This is the first time Vlad's had nine RBI in a six-game stretch since 2021.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it, it looks like he's getting back to that form. The the real challenge is keeping it up like he did in 21, right? And, yeah. and, and carrying it through an entire season or the entire second half or whatever it may be. And the Blue Jays need him. We know that this offense has been struggling. The fact that, you know, with one swing, he gave the Blue Jays all of their runs yesterday in a very, very tight 2-1 uh, win against the rookie Keaton Wynn. It's uh, it's telling. It's not like Vladdy necessarily needs to carry this team, but when he's on, it, it, it sure helps things out. It has been said time and again that the Blue Jays go, where Vladdy goes and uh, if this is where he's going then
0: huh.
1: the Blue Jays should expect a uh, <laughs> a pretty good uh, second half of the season
0: yeah turned Keaton win into Keaton Loss in that debut oh I'm sorry <laughs> I had to do it uh, two two kind of goofy ones for you Julia off of the Vlad conversation first of all Vlad is always the guy who dumps the cold water bucket on everyone else when they're doing the walk-off interview with, with Hazel Mayor Arden. How do you think they decide who gets to do it to Vlad? I imagine there would be, like, a long list of guys wanting their revenge.
1: <laughs> That's a fascinating question. Um, I rock, paper, scissors? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sound, look, sounds like an off-day story to me. I just, just throwing you know it out what? there for you or Keegan or someone.
1: Wow. Yeah, I feel like I'll, I will owe you like a, like a lunch or something after I, that.
0: Thank you. you. You do this show like once a week. You don't owe me anything. Um, <laughs> I, so it was Nate Pearson who got the nod last night. Um, the, other, the other Vlad adjacent one for you. So Vlad's going to the Home Run Derby. I'd imagine he's the only Blue Jay in there. But if there were a second Blue Jay in there, who do you think would do the best in a Home Run Derby other than Vlad?
1: That's a fascinating question too. Uh, maybe Varsho or Chapman. <clears throat> I know that uh, they haven't necessarily been the most consistent uh, this year, but when it comes to you know raw power and you know when you're watching maybe BP pregame at Rogers Center, it does seem like those guys would uh, have a chance of being really good at that. Uh, the only reason why I don't say Bobochette is because. Yes, he has the power, and yes, he has the ability of hitting those homers, but his game is a little bit different, right? He's not counting on that pop or, or on that uh, extra base power necessarily all the time. His game is more about putting the bat on the ball, and he and, and obviously has some some natural strength there that, that allows him to get those extra base hits, but it's more about the line drives and, and the ability to hit with uh, with runners on base. So – When it comes to, you know, isolated raw power, I would go with show or Chap
0: in here. Be interesting to see. uh, Maybe the Jays should, uh, well, maybe they shouldn't, just in case it disrupts anyone's swing. But I would like to see it in theory, Mm -hmm. uh, an all-Jays one, and see how it shakes out. Uh, I'm just glad you didn't (laughs) do the the... Smart Alecky answer like John Schneider yesterday when he said Ernie Clement as uh, as his answer. Um so Julia, this weekend the Red Sox are in town. They're forty and forty two. They're a little bit back of the pace in the American League. He's five games back of the Jays for that final wild card spot. Um they've been pretty up and down. Um What are your expectations for for this series? I know it's one that, you know, the Red Sox were talking pretty openly about yesterday after the game, beyond just the James Paxton getting to pitch in Canada on Canada Day weekend element. They feel like they play good baseball against the Blue Jays.
1: They have been playing good baseball against the Blue Jays. And I do think that it, this is a little bit, it has turned into a little bit of a revenge tour for the Red Sox after how things went last year, you know, the Blue Jays had a, a record breaking win uh, against Boston, we all remember the Rymel Tapia inside the park Grand Slam, if I'm not mistaken, right at Fenway uh that those were some big moments and when you look at what Toronto did with boston it, it uh it really put the Blue Jays in a position to make that wild card series. So there is a little bit of a, of a sentiment of, you know what, we're going to go out and get them. And they have so far, uh, the Red Sox have been extremely good against the Blue Jays. Blue Jays have scuffled of course, in uh, the AL East as a whole, but this is a different story. Uh, this team is not where it was when, uh, when it traveled to Boston. This is now, you know, them and their home turf with Vladdy, um, you know, being as good as he is right now The Blue Jays have figured some things out, and it seems like this is a good series to sort of put any narratives to bed about the offense uh, and just let the the pitching do its thing. If there's a a moment to sort of gain ground on the AL East and and try to get things back in in order before the All-Star break, uh, there's nothing quite like a, a series against the Red Sox.
0: No, and you can, obviously you can't look past the Red Sox, but we can, they, they can't, we can. Uh, and you have the White Sox and the Tigers coming up. You've just won three series in a row and won six of your last eight. If you can take the series off the Red Sox, it certainly looks like based on the, the quality of competition ahead this next week, that maybe you could head into the all-star break feeling pretty good about the type of baseball you're playing. I think that's something that, that they'd probably appreciate, given that this first half of the season hasn't been awful by any standards, but I don't think anyone in that room thinks they've played up to their potential yet. Um, so who knows? Maybe you win six or seven of these last nine. You go into the break feeling pretty good, Julia.
1: Yeah, and, and that's exactly what, what the Blue Jays need to look out for here. When you think about last year, uh, around this time, the, the record was pretty similar the problem is that the division is harder and uh, the the schedule has not necessarily helped either the good news is that if they did it if they did it once they can do it again it will very much be about how the blue jays match up against the al east this is, it it has been a, a rough start on that front and it does seem like that is going to be the difference maker especially with fewer games within the division so the blue jays Really need to take advantage of those uh, of those moments when they can gain some ground there, and, and they should be fine, and they should still be a, a playoff team. Blake
0: should be a fun weekend weekend change heading into the All Star break. Should be a fun weekend down at the ballpark. Julia, I uh, hope you have a blast. Looking forward to all your stuff at a Jays Red Sox.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that.
0: Julia Kreutz of MLB. Dot com. You can check all her stuff out at BlueJays.com, at MLB.com, uh, at RedSox.com, depending on the assignments day-to-day over the course of the weekend. It'll be Barrios Paxton tonight, Kikuchi Crawford tomorrow, and Gosman Whitlock to wrap it up on Sunday. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs kind of took all of these different defensive metrics that we have that sometimes say different things about teams and players and tried to... Blend them all together and get a better picture of what the top defenses around baseball look like. Guess what team grades out very, very well? Your Toronto Blue Jays. We'll see why next when we talk to Jay Jaffe on Jay's Talk Plus on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.
2: Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show
1: on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to J stock plus I'm Blake Murphy mentioned a stat a little earlier that with Chris Bassett and Kevin Gosman, both having six outings of six innings or more and zero earned runs before the midway point of the season. uh, They have done something that no pair of starters have done in over a hundred years. Something that has probably helped them out with that is a really, really good Toronto blue Jays defense behind them joining us now to help break that down he's the author of the cooperstown casebook and a writer at fangraphs it's jay jaffe jay how are you this morning
3: hey i'm good how you doing
0: i am well i gotta ask you first before we get into the defense stuff you had a tweet last night a proud dad moment your daughter preaching the gospel of sandy koufax and jackie robinson i don't have kids but that tells me you you got to be doing something right jay Yeah,
3: I guess so. I mean, you know, we live in Brooklyn, so this uh, this kind of stuff is her birthright. Um, We really uh, we've 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 tried to uh, uh, instill her with uh, some some good baseball lessons. I mean, you know, my you know not only am I a full time baseball writer, but my wife is a full time baseball editor at the Athletics. So, um, you know, she's my daughter's exposed to to baseball, whether she likes it or not. Um, But we've you know we've we've gently tried to uh, uh, at least lure her in. Uh, by telling her stories of Jackie Robinson and our dog is named Sandy. So huh. um, Robin at least knows uh, where, where that came from.
0: Yeah, we saw the the other uh, good baseball dog name it was Steve Cohen. His press conference the other day, there was a dog at it named Seaver, which I thought was a pretty good dog name to be uh, – to be around the Mets <laughs> as well. Um, so Jay, yeah. over at Fangraphs, you had a, a terrific piece out yesterday. A look at the best team defenses thus far, pretty simple title for what ended up being a fairly complex article. And why this is complex is we have a number of different ways to measure team defense and individual defense in baseball, defensive run saves outs above average, ultimate zone rating, a couple of other ones specific to catchers. Um, and a lot of the times these things don't agree or don't agree completely. Um, before we get into the results of what you wrote about and and how you did this, why is that the case? Why do a couple different ways to measure defense not very often align on you know trying to capture what we're seeing?
3: Yeah, there's there's a few different reasons, and you know the the, the methodologies differ, uh, the amount of regression that's built into them differ. Um, you know, and, and, and what's included differs as well. Um, you know, for example, uh, some of those don't have, uh, don't measure pitcher fielding, which, you know, is really kind of baked into pitcher run prevention in, a, in other ways. Um, you know, distinguishing uh, a pitcher's good defense from, uh, his overall ability to prevent runs, you know, I think is to me, it's sort of a moot point. Um, you know so we so we see differing values there, and I think what's really important to remember is that defense t- is harder to measure than offense um the sample sizes, even a full season of data is not um as reliable uh as a full season of offensive data. It takes a longer time uh to get to a player's true skill level uh when you're you know true talent level when you're when you're when you're trying these things so I think the best way to look at this. Is if you see, and I'm citing throughout this article, um, you know, for most fielders, I'm citing their DRS, their OAA, uh, or their, um, uh, sorry, their RAA, which is uh, outs above average converted to runs, um, or uh, their uh, UZR. Um, is that the best we can really do? Is 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 kind of provide you a range of of where they stand. So if you've got somebody who's six six above average in one five above average in the other, and one above average in the third, you can feel pretty confident that he's an above-average fielder, but whether he's a you know, solidly above-average or uh, exceptional fielder I think is, is something we want longer time you know, or on or, or, or conclusions more tentative uh, you know, as to the extremity of that.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, you know, generally what I look for as well. is like, hey, if you're a positive in all of them or you're a negative in all of them, at least there's some agreement on that. And then, yeah, right. this, these are stats that, you know, not only is defense a little more... Subject to, to just general fluctuations, I think. But, you know, the, the stabilization point of these is pretty high. So you took all of these at the team level, um, six different or five different stats, rather, um, when you include, you know, the fact that we handle catchers a little differently. And you tried to blend all of these into kind of one. Hey, how's this defense doing? Um, when you looked at the results table, how much did it like? I know it's partly the process, but when you see the top defenses and they're all defenses that across the metrics, the metrics agree, um, like like, are we at a point where that should be our first look? Like, hey, everything says you're positive positive. Um, we we can, and we can kind of move from there. Whereas, you know, I know the Padres grayed out well by the composite one, but they have some big positives and then some strong negatives. That consistency, especially at the halfway point, that should probably win out for us.
3: Yeah, I think you know you you, you want to see the whole picture and 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 understand you know like for example and I you know and, and I explained uh you know deeper within the, that uh uh you know where the catching for example was driving a particular rating um and everything else was 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 closer to average or something like that. Um yeah, so you're you're looking for agreement and the the strongest the two strongest teams there, three strongest teams there. Uh, the, blue, the Brewers, the Rangers, and the Blue Jays, the reason you're calling me here, um, you know, are all uh, strongly above average across the board here, um, you know, in, in, in these measures. And, and uh, uh, there's a clear separation uh, between these three teams uh, and the next three teams, which were the six that I focused on for the for the good one. I'm actually putting the finishing touches on uh, the bottom six teams mm-hmm. here for an article that will go up uh, in a little while.
0: Yeah, and those bottom six teams, we're going to see one of them uh, this weekend here in Toronto, it's the Boston Red Sox, which uh, you know that that that's yeah. kind of nice to see. If you're the Toronto Blue Jays and they're coming into town, um, the other thing before I, I do want to get into some Jays specifics. When you look at the top, obviously the three best teams there: Milwaukee having a, a pretty good season in, in the NL Central, Texas being maybe the biggest over deliverer so far this year, other than Arizona, and then the Blue Jays who are you know in a wild card spot right now. Nine of the top eleven defenses are in playoff spots. Based Based on that blended metric, um, I, I mean, it goes without saying that defense is really important. But do you think, you know, in, in the the public discourse, especially the the more analytic discourse, it does it had felt for a little bit like maybe defense got underplayed. Do you think we're coming back around to appreciating just how important defense is to winning baseball? Uh,
3: maybe I don't know. I, I feel like uh, wins above replacement, and you know, the discussions around that and the. Um, you know the popularity of Statcast have both helped to raise the profile of defense. Um, you know, again, there's you know some people because they because they don't take the time to understand the metrics, or they're stuck in uh, a very 20th century uh, frame of reference where all you you know all we can talk about is errors and okay. and uh, unearned runs. Um, you know, may you know may not may not appreciate the complexity of these metrics or the or, or the diversity of them, but. Um, you know, I do think the conversation has advanced and I think that we get a better sense of, of, you know, of, of what's, what's valuable. I think it's maybe a little bit undersold that, you know, defense is as much uh, a part of run prevention as the pitching itself um, with catcher framing uh, being, you know, be, getting the spotlight. We have a little bit more, more sense of that. Also with quality of contact measures, uh, we have a little bit of, you know, more of that. Sometimes, you know, when we talked about batting average on balls in play, which is a useful stat when you're, when you're thinking about uh, a pitcher's contribution versus the fielder's contribution, um, you know, we now have better measures that could tell you, well, how much of that's luck and how much of that is, is uh, the good defense behind him. Uh, it's still something that takes a, takes a while to tease out, you know, in terms of sample sizes, but um I think, we t- I think we do talk about defense more, and I think it, that that's a good thing because our our, because our understanding of, of, of baseball is advancing.
0: Yeah, and, and hey, the, it's been a huge conversation here in Toronto, especially in the offseason because the Jays maybe sacrificed a little bit of pop in their bats to improve the defense, especially in the outfield, and the results are, are pretty strong. Again, in, in this blended metric you put together, the Jays ranked third. If you look at each individual defensive metric, the Jays are, are pretty good at all of them and as much as this is centered on the outfield defense here it's not it's not just kevin kiermeyer but there's a lot of kevin kiermeyer in here
3: yeah a lot of kevin kiermeyer and a lot of dalton Varsha, who has been uh spectacular in his limited time in center as well as uh uh left field so you got two out of three outfielders who are just putting up awesome numbers and when you've got a you know a staff that uh Uh, Relies on fly balls, but that's important. I mean, you know, Kiermaier. um, Boy, I can't say enough about him. I I put together a video, uh, a a a video, and it was just his five best catches of the first three weeks of June. I didn't have to go further than that to be like, okay, this is this is enough to give us some examples here. But um, both of those guys. I mean, we knew, you know, obviously, if you're watching the Blue Jays, you know Kevin Kiermeyer uh, is a great defender because he's been playing uh and been a key part of those those uh, uh good teams in Tampa Bay although he's had some trouble staying on the field due to injuries because he's just he gives his body a lot with those dives um but uh yeah he's been fantastic and uh um, had the largest uh defensive run saved and uh, and uh runs above average at at um at at the two positions or, or at any single position um and Uh, you know, that's been a big part of their success.
0: So at age 33, he's still keeping it up at this level. He was in the vote for a starting spot in the American league all-star game. Uh, he lost out to a pretty loaded outfield there uh, in the AL. That's uh it, it's, it's hard to see that vote having gone any other way with uh judge trout and a Rosa Raina there. Now, if we look at something like wins above replacement, Kiermaier only 15th among outfielders in the American league. The bat was really strong to start the season. It's still been good, but it's come back down to earth a little bit. Having said that, is there any place in your heart for, say, a, a kind of lifetime achievement award slash let's reward some defense for Kevin Kiermeyer as an all-star reserve this year?
3: Yeah, I think there's, you know, a lot of it depends on the makeup of the of, of the whole squad and, and you know, how many players from each team are going. Because, you know, when you get to the reserves, you have to sort of check some boxes, mm-hmm. Um you know, make sure every team is represented, and sometimes that results in a snub. And sometimes you've also you've also got injuries um, that expand the roster because somebody will get named to the team. Maybe that fills the requirement of of, of representation, uh, but they can't do it. I mean, sometimes you know, pitching is the easiest place to do that um, because you know a lot of starters uh, it just doesn't work out schedule wise, or their teams are a little bit skittish uh, about. Uh, uh, about using them, uh, you know, for that extra day or whatever. Somebody doesn't want to travel, um, so you get re- more replacements. So, I, you know, I think there's, there's, there's still a chance he winds up on there.
0: Uh, on the infield side for the Blue Jays, it's not just the outfield defense that, that's done a terrific job. You mentioned that Matt Chapman within your PC, you, you say he's been exceptional. The numbers pretty much back that up. Matt Chapman had a weird statistical season last year defensively. Um, do you do you attribute that mostly just to these stats are are a little noisy in one year samples? What, what do you make of Chapman oh, having? Been, yeah, Chapman because he was yeah, you know, I, legendary defender until last year. And, and now he's back to being very good again.
3: Yeah, I, there's there's noise. There's also you know I, it does make a difference um, you know who's who you're playing next to uh, at at some points. You know we can't I, you know, we can't isolate. This is not the easiest control for an experiment. Now, granted, he's mostly been playing with Beau Bichette. Um, but one thing to remember between last year and this year is the is the change of the shift rule. You know we don't have shifts anymore. Um, in some ways, that makes defense easier to measure um, because especially defensive runs saved. Uh, was taking uh, uh, shift runs out of the equation and attributing them to the team, but not the individual. And ultimate zone rating, to be honest with you, uh, was really much less useful uh, it, because of the, the uh, frequency of shifts. You know, ultimate zone rating literally measures uh, the plays that you're making in your defined zone. Um, if you know if you're a third baseman who's playing, uh, you know to the right of second base, you're out of your zone, and, and, and UZR isn't going to see that. So um, I think uh, uh, we can get a better read in the in the post shift era here uh, with these metrics.
0: Do you think that that's part of why the the met- oh, the metrics had never been particularly rosy about Bo Bichette's defense at shortstop. Now last year was an extreme negative. Um, I understand that some of that could be a shift. Do you see an improvement in Bobuchet as a defender as well?
3: Um, yeah, some. Uh, you know, to be honest, he wasn't. He wasn't one who stood out as an outlier needed direction. So I didn't really think too hard about his defense mm-hmm. here. But um, you know, he's. I think he's. I think he's pretty solid. You know, he's been pretty solid last year. You're right. It was that negative 16 DRS and uh, negative 15 UZR. Those were those. I see those as, as aberrations here. Uh, within the context of his career, and maybe it was, you know, getting used to having a new third baseman next to him. Um, you know, I know second base has been in flux for the Blue Jays here uh, over the years recently as well. So, you know, there, there's, there are things like that that go into it. And, I, you know, I, I also think it's worth remembering especially that we don't know everything about a player's physical condition. Got a lot of guys, you know, they'll they'll tough things out. Um, and it's not until later that we'll learn that they're playing through a nagging injury that may have affected their mobility or something like that. Um, you know, so it's important to bear that in mind because that can have an impact on what we're seeing too
0: and Bichette just never takes games off uh, pretty much so that that could be a real thing there Bichette also by the way he had a 13 game hit streak snapped yesterday and I mentioned that because I, I did want to pivot to one non J's question for you you wrote about St. Louis Cardinals 21 year old rookie Jordan Walker earlier this week as well he's on a 17 game hit streak right now he's got his weighted runs created plus up to 137 now on the season after a little bit of a stint in AAA what has clicked for the giant rookie in St. Louis.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got better pitch selection uh, since returning to the minors. I mean, since returning from the minors, um, he's hitting the ball much harder. I mean, that guy has, you know, plus plus raw power. Um, You know, and the Cardinals have been trying to get him to elevate the ball more. Uh, The data I looked at said that, you know, he's still hitting ground balls at, 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 at a high rate, higher than you'd want for, uh, you know, for anybody. But, man, he's hitting it so hard that those hits are getting through. And uh, uh, he's really been much more productive. But, holy Toledo, his defense is brutal. Um, I've got a gift that's going in today, uh, today's piece, where the Cardinals are among the six worst defensive teams, which is a big surprise because the foundation of that team has been defense over the years. Um, But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, they've tried to shoehorn Walker into the lineup uh, both he and Nolan Gorman are, you know, their natural third baseman, but have been blocked there by the arrival of Nolan Arenado. And, you know, their, their bats are, are good enough that you want them to play every day. But figuring out where to play them has had a ripple effect throughout the lineup.
0: So the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, an interesting team uh, ahead of the deadline here because they've underperformed. Um, Jay, before I let you go, which team are you most curious to see over these next two, three weeks, just in terms of how they could potentially shift the trade market, buyers or sellers?
3: Oh, boy. Jeez, that's a good question. Um, you know, the Cubs are one uh, because they have a lot of guys that, that look kind of like Red Bulls. Stroman, um, yeah. Yeah, Stroman, uh, Bellinger, uh, guy, guys like that. The Mets, obviously, but just because, and the Padres, just because their payrolls are so high and, And the frustration has has really been pent up for both of those teams. I mean, you know, if either of those teams decide to sell, boy, this deadline suddenly got a whole (laughs) lot more you know gets a whole lot more exciting. But uh, um, uh, I think those are the teams that I would that I would point to the most. Less so anybody in the American League, Um, unless you know the Angels suddenly plummet and they and they decide to move Shohei Otani, which I think is a pretty narrow remote possibility because they are playing good baseball and because Otani has been so incredible and the angels, I think do understand that, you know, if they want to keep him they're going to have to show him the money, but you know, they're, they seem, they're talking as though they, as though they are.
0: They're, they're talking that way and they're playing that way. Five games over 500 on the periphery uh, of the American League wild card chase. We'll see them here in Toronto just before the trade deadline. So here's hoping that he doesn't get traded. And if he does, it's to Toronto so we can still watch him. Uh, Jay Jaffe of, uh, of Fangraphs, uh, author of the Cooperstown Casebook. Thanks so much for taking the time out this morning. All right. Sure thing. Take care. Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs, the Cooperstown casebook, again, that piece over at Fangraphs, uh, taking a look at all of the defensive metrics that we have available to us, trying to kind of blend them into one more digestible ranking, the Toronto Blue Jays. Rank third among all defenses behind the Texas Rangers who have infinity all-star starters now. And uh, the Milwaukee Brewers who have overdelivered delivered a little bit, sitting five games above 500, Tied with our Cincinnati Reds uh, atop the NL Central as Joey Votto and Ellie De La Cruz keep things cooking there. We'll take a little break. Second half of the show, we're going to talk to Kayla McGrath The Athletic. We're going to talk a little bit more Matt Chapman. Tee up Yusei Kikuchi's Canada Day start. And then we'll be joined by Jen McCaffrey, also of The Athletic, to get the Red Sox side of this series. Uh, James Paxton has been very, very good since returning. He's had some moments against the Blue Jays. Uh, Caitlin and Jen, join us in the second hour of J Stock Plus on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.
2: Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Bourne. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you
0: get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That used to be matt chapman's walk-up music it's not anymore but eh, it's summertime bring it back bring it back matt chapman um will the blue jays bring back matt chapman i don't know after reading caitlin mcgrath's piece on matt chapman and, and what he means to this team and his teammates last week at the athletic i kind of feel maybe you should it's caitlin mcgrath of the athletic caitlin how are you
4: i'm good how are you
0: good uh pro matt chapman bringing back the reggae walk-up music or what
4: oh uh, yeah he's had some good walk-up songs mm-hmm. he's, um like i said in the piece he's actually a real big music guy so he kind of doesn't uh, discriminate when it comes to genre he like listens to everything so um yeah i'd be i'd be down for him he switched it more up last year i feel like he had a couple last year, this year, he's really just been the, the same
0: one. I think all year I am all four guys switching it up. And I know George Springer is second all time in lead off home runs, but the fact that he hasn't changed his in years, uh, I don't know. I, I like the mixing it up approach, except for Brendan Bell. Brendan Bell could just keep Weezer uh, forever. <laughs> uh, so Caitlin, this piece you wrote at the athletic, not like any other teammate, Matt Chapman holds the blue Jays together on field and off. Uh, I know it, it's about a week old now, but we haven't been able to have you on since then. Um, it's a terrific piece and I, I strongly recommend everyone go check it out. I think you'll come away with it for a, an even bigger appreciation of Matt Chapman beyond just the hard hit balls and the defense he brings. Um, what did you learn reporting that story out and talking to so many voices about Matt Chapman?
4: Um, I think the most I learned was more so about his, um, I guess, his past to the majors, you know, what he was like as a kid and how, um, that competitive streak that he has uh, was basically something that he was born with. Um, you know, even as a kid, he was very competitive just when it came to like playing on the street with his friends. And uh, baseball was an obvious, you know, passion for him. Um, it's a place where, you know, he kind of told me he just was able to focus. Um, you know, he grew up, he's a very energetic kid. Um, but kind of on the baseball field he was always just able to remain very focused um, and very serious and I think what I heard like the most feedback I got from the piece was people didn't realize how um, funny and sort of like light-hearted Matt Chapman is. Um, I don't think they realized he is the guy that like walks through the clubhouse and jokes around. Um, the guy that plays all the music, the guy that, uh, goes and lifts people up when they're feeling down. And, um, you know, every teammate I talked to just talked about like the energy that he brings and, uh, how, how funny he is. And so I think a lot of people see the on field, Matt Chapman, and he really does have these kind of dual sides to him. And he doesn't joke around a lot in games. Um, You know, occasionally in the dugout, maybe there will be a little bit, but not to the extent that he sort of jokes around um, once the game's over, before the game starts. So he really manages those kind of two sides to him really well, where he is able to be very focused on the field when it matters, um, when he's the most important thing to him. But he um, is able to kind of let it go and show the other side of his personality, which You know, he says he's always been this kind of hyper, uh, hyperactive type of guy um, ever since he was a kid. And now, even though he's 30 years old, he's still like that.
0: So you hear the teammates talk about him like this and you get some of the funny anecdotes and things like that. It starts to make a little more sense to me that we're headed for... uh, you know, what's got to be one of the weirdest giveaways since the Jason Grilly uh, barbecue apron, the chappy couture shirt giveaway day down at the park on, on Saturday, July 15th. The Jays kind of got that started themselves by, uh, you know, on social media. Every it, we, we saw that everyone just showed up dressed like Matt Chapman uh, mm-hmm. one day. Is that a pretty good snapshot of the way this team feels, uh, feels about Chapman and that, you know, added layer of humor you're talking about with him?
4: Yeah, and I think it goes back to Chapman's the type of guy that can kind of dish out jokes but also can take them very well, too. And so I'm sure he had um, he was kind of thrilled that everyone was dressing like him. Like, he would have loved to be the kind of center of attention of that, and he would have laughed at it. Like, he's, he's definitely the type of guy that doesn't mind being in on the joke, doesn't mind, you know, being part of the joke as well. Um, And so that definitely sums him up. And he's got his own very unique fashion, too. (laughs) Like He's a very, very Southern California guy. Obviously, he grew up there, um, still has family there. And he kind of embodies that kind of uh, personality for sure. Um, that cool cool southern california guy
0: so that element of it is is obviously humorous uh, to us from outside as well but when you talk about you know hey he brings that sense of levity and he picks guys up and he's serious about his business well the jays have a bobochet type who is you know a lead more of a lead by example type from, from what we understand he goes about his business he work he outworks everyone um and that's his way of leading and, and vlad is more the gregarious, happy guy um, who admittedly has gone through some of his own struggles this year. And I I don't know this personally, but I can imagine if you are going through your own stuff that maybe takes away a little bit from your your ability to pick others up. How huge is that for a a clubhouse that, you know, last year felt the loss of a Marcus Simeon. and, And until, you know, Matt Chapman got comfortable there, maybe there was a little bit of that void in terms of that voice and that presence for this group.
4: Yeah, I think that Chapman has definitely come into his own a little bit more in that regard in this year. I mean, everything that I talked to, you know, uh, old coaches of his, people who've known him a long time, kind of described him as like a natural leader, um someone that can do it his own way and his way to lead is obviously again bringing that energy, um being kind of the center of post-game celebrations or um you know, like I said, picking guys up if that's uh, if that's what they need. But, uh, yeah, you can understand that it would take a little bit of time, especially the way he came to the Blue Jays last year. was kind of a bit of a whirlwind in the sense that he got traded right at the start of that um, uh, shorter spring training. And then you're just kind of thrust in with a new team, and they're starting their season. And he got off to a bit of a slow start last year. He was still getting to know the team dynamics, and so it took some time for him to kind of um, fit in that role. But I remember last year just being around the team and it was like sort of summertime kind of noticed maybe like July-ish or something. And Chapman was like definitely seemed more chatty, kind of seemed more comfortable joking around with guys. He had this like ro- long running joke with the bullpen last year um, where, you know, he kept forgetting to like point to them and huh. after he hit a home run and, and they would like, you know, call the dugout and be like, Hey, tell Chapman he didn't point to us and stuff like that so there was like this long running joke and that's when I kind of clicked for me last year I was like oh okay like this guy this guy's more of a clubhouse glue guy than I maybe thought because um, it's hard like I you know you definitely perceive him most for what he's like on the field um I think so it takes a little bit of time to get to know him but yeah he's definitely been um de- in that comfortable role leading the way um, for this team. There's other guys, too. Like you mentioned, Bo does it his own way. Whip Merrifield, I think, has um, kind of similarly come into his own in that regard this year. Uh, Brandon Bell is, uh, you know, a different mm. kind of leader, but certainly a guy that um, just kind of keeps his cool, even keel, and guys can kind of just follow that lead. And, you know, the, the Blue Jays have, you know, several guys that um, are in that kind of leadership group, and those different guys bring different sort of skill sets and different characteristics to the way they lead, like you kind of described with the differences in Bo and Vlad, But there's a lot of guys and then there's, you know, different leaders for, you know, the uh, pitching staff and all that kind of stuff.
0: Um, Matt Chapman, 30 years old, 799 OPS, premium defense at third base. He's been worth an estimated two and a half wins above replacement here at the halfway mark, which would, you know, put him back, not quite to 2018, 2019 level Matt Chapman, but certainly the best season uh, he's had since. He's a free agent at the end of the year. When you look at you know, the defense that he brings and yeah, he's 30. So who knows, maybe it declines a little bit at third base. You bring you look at that locker room element. Um, I, I know that the way the system is set up in the the farm system, I mean, and the way the payroll sheet looks for future years, it might be a little bit tough to pay Matt Chapman, especially if an Addison Barger or an Aralvis Martinez starts to look ready. Um, but do in, in reporting this piece out and having get, gotten to know that, that vibe over the last, you know, this half of the year and the back half of last year. Do you think that's a, that's a component of what the Jays have to kind of the the calculation they, they have to do here with Matt Chapman's free agency this summer?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think all things being equal, they would like to bring him back because he, you know, he's really good. He's really good for the team in a lot of different ways. The defense, you mentioned the the power, the hitting, you're starting to kind of see him emerge from that weird slump he had in, in may and look a lot kind of just more like himself um and yeah age there might be decline and all that kind of stuff but again uh, there's not really an obvious uh you know there's not a guy in buffalo right now sort of knocking on the door um that is a sure everyday third baseman um you mentioned some names for elvis martinez and addison barger and yeah those are options obviously it's not like the jays don't have options but it, it, it's not as though they have necessarily like a shoe in uh, third basin of the future, the way a few years ago, you know, you knew Vlad was coming up and you knew Bo was coming up and they were going to be like franchise guys. Um, and so that um, sort of complicates this decision a little bit, but I do think you mentioned the, um, you know, the payroll, this team is kind of balancing. Um, I brought this up before, you know, talking about this kind of subject, but one of the things that Mark Shapiro specifically always talks about is kind of having um, sort of layers to your team and that you have a sort of layer of guys that are those top-end free agents making a lot of money. You have some mid-tier guys that are ARB uh, salaries, um, sort of various ARB salaries. And then you have some people on your roster that are basically the entry-level salaries. And um, you kind of layer that so that you can kind of maintain the payroll and and kind of always have – guys coming up and they're being sort of natural turnover, I guess. And the Jays are kind of at a point where they're a bit skewing towards almost just a lot of free agents and a lot of higher priced ARB salaries. Uh-huh. Like there's really not a lot of guys um, on their team right now that are on the lower structure, uh, low lower end of the pay structure. And in the future, like again, they're, they, they don't have a ton of guys that are necessarily like knocking down the door um, in terms of their farm system. So, I just wonder like how they're gonna balance all those salaries. You know, there's uh Kevin Kiermeyer's only on a one year deal, Brandon Bouts only on a one year deal, you have Whit Merrifield's gonna probably be a free agent. He has an option year, but um assuming that's declined, he'll be a free agent. Um yeah, you got Matt Chapman, um uh, you got a whole rotation that's essentially free agents and then Alec Manoa, um, and we don't sort of know what's gonna happen with that. So I just think like this Blue Jays team is going to be spending a lot of money. They've got a lot of holes to fill. Then you have to enter in the equation of uh, Bo long-term. I know he's kind of settled through his arbitration years, but beyond that. And then Vlad as well. You're still going year-to-year with Vlad, and then you're looking ahead when he becomes a free agent. So that is what I look to. It's just there's a lot to balance. There's a lot of roster holes to fill, and this is a team that's already getting pretty expensive when it comes to free agents. Um, are you going to have room to pay Matt Chapman for an extended amount of time? And this is also a team that's like, you know, can be fairly conservative with stuff like that. You know, you saw Simeon have the best, one of the best years uh, of a second baseman like ever, and they let him walk and he got paid a ton of money in Texas. And would he have been great for this team? Yeah, for sure. He brought a lot of the same things that Matt Chapman brings, Um, but they let him walk. And so I think that, that is um you know I think it'll really depend on how the market develops around that Chapman, and I think there are going to be a lot of teams that are pretty interested in him and a lot of teams that can pay significant money for him, and not to mention he has Scott Boris as an agent, so
0: yeah, and I think one of those teams is probably in the American League East. Uh, yeah, just, think just thinking I ahead. Really agree with that. Just thinking ahead a little bit. Okay, so um, let, let's pivot off of a in here. I know you weren't at the park yesterday. Hope you uh, you enjoyed a series off that you very very much deserve. Uh, you missed Vlad hit a pretty big home run. I, I know you were watching. Um, so Vlad hits that home run. He's got three home runs at home in his last six. He's got nine RBI over this last little bit. Uh, obviously, the batted ball stuff is the batted ball stuff. John Schneider said after the game, sometimes when you're trying to do a little too much, you forget how good you are. Moments like that hopefully just let you take a deep breath and understand that he's as talented as he is. G- having gotten to know Vlada and the dynamic around him and, and this team over the years, a big couple of games like that, and, and we can get into you know the approach stuff and the swing decisions and the mechanics, etc. But from a mental standpoint and a momentum standpoint, how big do you think it is for, for Vlad to have, um, you know, strung together a a couple of really strong games here at home?
4: Well, I think it's big because it's not even about him having strong games. It's about him having strong games and the team winning. Like that is what matters for Vlad. I mean, you, he could hit three home runs in a game and if they lose, he's not going to feel great, great at the end of the night. He is, um, this is a big, and generally speaking, like most teams are full of team guys um that's the nature of the sport uh you want to win but Vlad in particular has always just stood out to me and in the way that he um cares about winning cares about his teammate really like I remember even early on talking to Vlad and it was like you could hardly get him to talk about himself a lot of times it was always about the team winning um you know even when the team was not so great back then like that was really what mattered to him and it's kind of continued on. And so I think that what he loves to do the most, and, and this is why I think you see him um, look frustrated sometimes. It's it's really not, like, about him. Um, it's, it's about the fact that he's not being able to, you know, be the guy in the moment because that's what he really wants to be. Um, and I think probably, uh, I'm not sure that he would sort of admit to it, but I think there is probably times where he puts – too much on his shoulder and and i know that he knows um that it's not about doing it all himself um i know he came into this year really trying to know the message of like the guy behind me can string hits and and everyone behind me can kind of keep the line moving it doesn't always have to be me but you understand that it's hard in the moment to think that all the time and so I think there's times when he really wants to do it himself understandably so and so I think when those things align and he is able to do it himself and that what he does himself like leads to a team win I think that's when he really starts feeling good and so I think you just hope that a moment like that um, because it came in a win because it came in it helped them win the series against a really hot Giants team a really, a really good Giants team that I wasn't watching every moment of the games that I was off but it seemed to be pitching pretty well or uh, they yeah. have a pretty good pitching staff over there and so um, winning at home doing all those things and obviously getting the home runs I mean it was a story for the first half basically about Vlad not hitting home runs and now he's got what three or four home runs at home Um, so they seem to be rolling a little bit with this home stand which is um, you know probably about time and it was probably just a matter of time before he started hitting those home runs so yeah I would say that uh, carrying that momentum, you have a Boston team coming in. Not great pitching staff at Boston. Um, obviously, there's a few guys that are, are good, but um, maybe that's one of the things that they could t- take advantage of against this Boston team, who they will probably be looking to like revenge the way that uh, Boston kind of domin- dominated the Blue Jays uh, in May at Fenway. Uh, the Blue Jays now have them on their own turf, so I'm sure they're looking to get even a little bit.
0: I, I want to go back to the to the Red Sox series in a moment here, but um, the other thing that is is relevant right now around flat home runs is that uh last time he faced john schneider in a home run derby at 91 of them uh he didn't win that home run derby he is going to be going to the home run derby we found out yesterday he said that you know his family really wanted him to do it john schneider seemed very excited about it um how my are are you going to seattle first of all i'm not no Okay, so you get a nice, nice little bit of time off. I hope. Um, but Vlad doing the home run derby, um, given how fun it was last time, given his relationship with John Schneider, um, how cool is that? To, you know, I, I know you know Vlad and Schneider a, a little bit at this point. Um, you know, this is a similar question to just asking you about you know the mental side and the psychological side of Vlad just having a couple good games, eight games, the team wins, but being able to go back there and kind of loosen up and have the fun that All Star Weekend lets you provide, where the results don't quite matter as much you see that having an impact on Vlad's second half as well
4: yeah for sure let me just ask you because I have been sort of uh, off, off the grid a little bit uh mm-hmm. is Schneider pitching to him or he is, is it? yeah Schneider okay. said
0: he he's gonna do it he's going out there and he's gonna serve him up again
4: okay cool yeah I mean that's fun um I, I you know they always talk about like the home run derby curse right um, that's a big thing Uh, maybe there's a reverse curse. It's not (laughs) like Vladdy has necessarily been hitting for as much power as a lot of people might expect. Uh, Although like we just talked about, maybe it's coming on a little bit now, but I think that that will be fun. Um, I know Vlad has been to the all-star game a few times. Uh, I guess we don't know if he's going to be an all-star yet. He didn't get voted in, but he's obviously going to participate and I'm sure there's an outside shot that he'll be selected to on the all-star team, but yeah, I I can't see any downside in that. Um, He's feeling good. I think it's a good sign because Vlad puts his, again, his team first and him first. It's all about the team. And so I know in years past, He's been asked to do the derby or there's been interest in him doing the derby. And he said no, because whatever, you know, there there was a time where his wrist was kind of feeling sore. didn't want to risk anything. And so to me, the biggest takeaway from that is that he's obviously feeling good. And that's probably a good sign. And I think also the fact that he's been hitting a lot better now. I was kind of wondering about if there had been some lingering things. There was like a a minor knee thing, a minor wrist thing, um, kind of in May. And so I was kind of wondering like, and eh, maybe that thing was bugging him a little more. The fact that he's doing the Derby now and he seems to be full board into it. And, and you, you've obviously got Schneider's approval to do it. Um, I think that's a good sign just from like a health standpoint, obviously he's feeling good. He's feeling excited. Um, I think those were all good things. And yeah, it's a home run Derby. It's, you know, it's fun. It's not really going to transfer over necessarily, but you know, maybe, maybe if he wins and maybe, <laughs> maybe if he has a good time, um, then you never know, maybe he can roll into the second half with some great momentum.
0: Speaking of rolling into the second half with some great momentum, another piece that you had uh, this week, at The Athletic about a guy who's doing just that. Now, he's got two more starts before the break, but we'll, we'll, so we'll see. But you say Kikuchi is coming off of, you know, arguably his two best starts as a Blue Jay, two of the six or seven best starts uh, of his entire Major League career. And you wrote a piece, You say Kikuchi is riding high and lower velocity on two pitches could be the reason. Uh, can you take us into that a little bit and what's clicking for Kikuchi on the hill right now?
4: Yeah, I think it's just, well, one is he's throwing the curveball a lot more and he's kind of throwing a bit of a slower curve. Um, And that seems to be a pitch that has been really successful for him. He was kind of using it previously, just kind of almost sporadically, just as like a get-me-over strike. Uh, But now he's kind of more comfortable throwing it in all different counts and and using it uh, as a weapon more so. And so I think that that paired with the fastball, which he obviously throws pretty hard. And then he's got the slider, which has been a pitch that, has been, um, you know, a bit um, temperamental for him, I guess, in the sense that in April it was a really great pitch for him. May not so so good. And in May it looked like he was kind of throwing it harder. Um, and for him and, and his slider, that's not really a good thing. Uh, he wants to kind of keep it lower, um, and like, like 87, 88-ish, because uh, it gets – up closer to 90, maybe looks more like his cutter, and then it also kind of doesn't have as much separation from the fastball. And so I think what's been really effective for him is having those kind of three distinct speeds um, with the curveball, with the slider, and then with the fastball, and he obviously can use the changeup from time to time as well. And so having those, like, four kind of distinct pitches, I think um, different speeds, the confidence to throw them in all types of counts, Um, has been really good for him, really effective for him. And then it also just comes down to his command. Um, He's obviously been commanding the zone a lot better um, compared to last year and just overall this year. Um, And so I think that that's why when you see him give up the occasional home run, which home runs still a bit of an issue for him, but – kind of so be it with that it's almost like uh well different pitchers and everything I always go back to like the Robbie Ray example where it's like a couple years ago when he was with the Blue Jays and they were sort of he was having his Cy Young season and one of the messages with him was like you know what if you give us up a solo home run here and there we're gonna live with that as long as you're not walking three guys in an inning and then giving up like a monster shot um like so I think it's kind of the same thing with Kikuchi it's like listen, if you're going to throw it in the zone, you're going to live in the zone. Sometimes you're going to give up home runs, but if you're giving them up in their solo home runs, like we can live with that. Um, you know, it's just the walks that you don't want to see. And that to me has been sort of the biggest thing with him. And he just looks a lot more confident and he's seemed a lot more confident just talking and um, just talking to him after games. And obviously the results help with that, but yeah, it's been great to see. He's probably been, there's been a few good storylines um, with the Blue Jays pitching staff, Burrios, another one, um, that maybe have been almost overshadowed by some of the not great storylines with, like, a Manoa situation and them not having much depth. But, yeah, Kikuchi and Brios in particular have been really doing everything and more the Blue Jays need from them this year.
0: He has been, and he'll get the Canada Day start, which is, uh, you know, always a, a fun one, a big one here. Red Sox in town. Caitlin, you had mentioned the Jays probably want a, a little bit of, uh, you know, revenge here. So we've got Brios Paxton, Kikuchi Crawford, Gosman Whitlock over the course of the weekend. Um, anything stand out to you that you're particularly looking for? I, I know, and, and this could be, I, I, if it's not uh, if it's not on the field, whatever, Canada Day weekend's always an extremely fun weekend uh, around the park. What are you most looking forward to this weekend?
4: Red Sox should have switched, and Paxton should have been on candidate. I agree. Special, <laughs> what, what the heck? I, um, well, I guess it's the weekend. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like forever since I've even seen the, the Red Sox. It's, it's such a strange schedule um, this year, not seeing the division teams as often. I feel like every other week the Jays are playing the Red Sox and winning against the Red Sox last year. So, so wild. Um, So I don't know. I think the Red Sox have been kind of similar to the Blue Jays in the sense that they um, take kind of two steps forward, one step back a little bit. I think they're still kind of hovering around um, in the wild card race. They're certainly not out of it. Um, like I said, their their offense can be really good, and then it can not show up sometimes. Mm-hmm. The pitching um, has been uh, okay, not great, um, and so I'm kind of just looking forward to getting a little bit more caught up with the the Red Sox. Um, I think I haven't I haven't seen them since that series in May when the Jays did not look good, um, and it wasn't even like the the Red Sox looked great in that series too. It was like both teams were trying to like give the other team the win there was a lot of mistakes um you know the red sox defense isn't known to be um great and so i'm just uh eager to see how these two teams match up now that they're in maybe different places how the blue jays play at home against them um that'll be that'll be
0: interesting to watch it will be it'll be a lot of fun uh, caitlin last one before i let you go and i'm gonna put you on the spot sorry i didn't warn you about this one but yesterday was the exact halfway mark of the Blue Jays season, do you have a bold prediction for us for the second half?
4: Oh well, so many of my probably overall predictions were wrong. Um, I don't. I think I'm like maybe on track to get one right. Um, do I have any? Uh, I guess is it bold enough to say like the Blue Jays will end up in the second wild card spot? I sure. think they'll be able to move up a little bit. Um, I don't know that they'll make a run at the division. Maybe they'll make things interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I think I can say that blue Jays, I think will end up in the second wild card spot.
0: Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a good one. That's uh, that'd be a lot of fun. And it means they'll play some pretty good baseball from here. They're 45 and 37 right now, half a game back, of that spot. So we'll see if they can outplay the Yankees and, and a couple of teams on the fringes, uh, getting a couple games off the Red Sox this weekend would be a good start. Kayla McGrath of the athletic. Thanks so much for taking the time out. Uh, keep up the great work and have a, have a fun weekend down at the park.
4: Yeah. I'm excited to get back down there for Canada day.
0: Yeah. Kayla McGrath of the athletic again, go check out that Matt Chapman piece. It, it was tremendous. And, and I think people in Toronto have gotten pretty fond of Matt Chapman pretty quickly. Uh, that will only confirm those feelings for you. The say Kikuchi peach was great as well. Uh, going into with John, with you know, voice from John Schneider in there as well about some of what's changed in Kikuchi's pitch mix. How he's kind of kept that slider to more of a slider versus when he throws it harder and it gets kind of cuttery. Um, like Caitlin mentioned, the expanded curveball usage. This is a Boston Red Sox team that has underwhelmed. We'll say now. When they started the season okay and when they were in the mix, you know, on on odds and things like that before the season, I don't think they're as good as the rest of the American League East on paper. That said, they're only two games under 500. they They've outscored their opponents. Uh, they've dealt with a lot of injuries and kind of kept their head above water. And they have some good pieces, obviously. Rafael Devers' season kind of mirrors Vlad's in that he's still been solid but but not to where expectations are. Um you know, Chris Sale's obviously dealt with some injury stuff. Brian bayo has been a, a terrific find for them. He, he had an awesome start uh, yesterday or the day before. I have lost track of time. I think it was yesterday. Um, apologies for that. Yes, it was yesterday against Miami. OK, I got it. Calendars. That's how they work. Um, we're going to talk more about the Boston Red Sox with Caitlin's colleague, Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic, uh, after this, as we tee up this weekend series. Barrios, Paxton tonight, Kikuchi, Crawford tomorrow for Canada Day. And we'll round it out with Gosman, Whitlock on Sunday. Jen McCaffrey joins us next on Jay's Talk Plus on the Sportsnet Radio Network and at 360
2: smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The fan drive time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify,
1: or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's Red Sox. Getting going this weekend. Both teams just passed the halfway mark of the season. The Jays, 45 and 37. Fourth in the AL East. Holding on to that last wild card spot. The Boston Red Sox, 40 and 42. Five games back of the Jays for that final wild card spot. A whopping 15 games back in the division because the Tampa Bay Rays are the Tampa Bay Rays. It's shaping up to be quite a second half race for those couple of wild card positions. The Red Sox come in not playing the worst baseball anyone's ever seen, but not playing their best uh, they've lost five in a row. They, they've dropped seven of their last 10. And uh, some of the stories kind of similar to what you would heard from uh, the Blue Jays when things had been going poorly for the Blue Jays. Uh, to help us break it down, it's Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic. Jen, how are you this morning?
2: Doing
0: okay. How about you? I am well. Uh, Have to take, uh, I know yesterday was a a lot of fun and Brian Baio was very, very good. But as uh, a kid who was a Montreal Expos fan, I have to take small issue with Kenley Jansen calling Brian Baio Pedro Jr. I I may, I'm not ready to go there yet. How about you?
2: Yeah, you know it's funny. Bayo's worked uh, extensively with Pedro um, to kind of get to the point where he's at, and um, I think a lot of people are trying to make those comparisons probably a little prematurely. But Pedro himself has said he's seen a lot of a younger version of himself in Bayo, and you know it's it's way too soon for those kind of things. But he's he's hasn't even been in the majors a year, and he's obviously. Um, Doing very very well, so uh, it's going to be fun to watch him for a number of years. Um, Just a matter of if the team can uh, can put up any uh, offense or any uh, put any wins together for him when he has these uh, good
0: nights. Just turned twenty four, a three oh eight ERA, and hey, the Pedro night—he's got a, a sky high ground ball rate, so that's going to help uh, a little bit as well. Jen, you mentioned uh, that they have not put up a lot of offense in support of him. Um, there have been a couple stories you've written recently for the Athletic about this Red Sox team that seem to echo a little bit. Some of what's happened with the blue Jays, not, not over the last 10 days or so, but prior to that, um, one of them being, you know, last night they, they waste that Bay eight outing with a, with an offensive drought there. That sounds a little familiar here, uh, an offense that was supposed to be pretty good coming in around average. Um, what has plagued this Red Sox team at the dish of late?
2: Just, yeah, a lot of inconsistency. They'll go through stretches where they look like, you know, um, they can't be pitched around and they'll score, you know, a dozen runs and they'll go on a week long stretch where they put up, you know, uh, 10 plus runs every night. And then, then they'll fall off the map and, uh, and just kind of not be able to put together anything, um, you know, for, again, for another week, it's really been so up and down. And Cora Alex Cora has said, a lot of the players have said, you know, their, their record is, as uh, right now it's 40 and 42, but you know, they're, they're pretty much a 500 team. They've been, great at some points and they've been awful at other points so they're kind of you know right in the middle of being just a mediocre team right now and they haven't been able to find consistency at the plate um so that's obviously a, a huge factor for them the the pitching you know the beginning of the year the pitching um there was a lot of up and down and it kind of has um even down been you know a strength for them over the past month plus six weeks or so but the offense hasn't been able to um you know hold up its end of the bargain. And, and uh, yeah, Alex Verdugo last night was just sort of saying, you know, they kind of feel like they're trying to do too much. One guy's trying to, you know, do everything. And maybe everyone's going up to the plate trying to do the same thing instead of just letting, you know, opportunities come to them. They're trying to make too much of it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a uh, confusing situation because you'll look at them one night and they will be fantastic. And then, you know, they'll go through a stretch where it looks like they can't, they won't hit a ball ever again. So um, it's been, I think frustrating for a, a lot of uh, people in the organization wondering you know what what is this team and is this team worth you know investing for at the trade deadline or is this a team that's you know we need to break up because uh you know they're not going anywhere even even with the third wild card um you know spot um up in the air right now so yeah um there's a there's a lot of uh a lot of uh, just angst, I think, right now. And, and the defense, too, has been pretty rough. So um, there's there's just been a lot of up and down right now. And it's it's been a very mediocre team for the first half.
0: It makes these next couple weeks for them pretty fascinating, maybe even more so than any team in the American League, because that, that buy or sell question uh, that you mentioned, you know, that's real for them. They're five games back of a wild card spot is not is not. A ton at the halfway mark, but there are so many teams in the mix, and obviously the teams ahead of them in the American League East are uh, are pretty good teams. So you mentioned the defense there. Uh, Jay Jaffe at Fangraphs had a piece up today that kind of tried to blend some of uh, the defensive metrics that we have available to us. The Red Sox come in third last by that blended metric. They're also one of the worst teams uh, by Fangraphs base running metric this year. Again, I want to I want to parallel what's going on with the Red Sox and so what was going on with the Jays a couple weeks back. And a uh, piece you had earlier in the week was that this is a Red Sox team that continues to be plagued by sloppy play. Um, I know you mentioned you know some of it. Verdugo thinks is maybe guys try to do too much, etc. But what goes into and we haven't figured this out yet in Toronto either. So uh, apologies if uh, if there is no good answer here. But what goes into a, a team that's supposed to be in win now mode not being able to play? clean and tidy baseball for long stretches as the Red Sox have here.
2: Yeah. I mean, one of the main reasons for the Red Sox is they just, they don't really have a shortstop right now. And that's obviously a key position, (laughs) the key position on the field. You know, they assumed, you know, know, Bogarts, they kind of basically let Bogarts walk in, in free agency this winter um, when he went to the Padres and they assumed uh, Trevor Story would be taking over the role and he, you know, began the season with uh, in January, not even began the season, started the year with having like kind of a, that modified Tommy John surgery on his arm, the internal bracing procedure. And he's actually getting pretty close to being, you know, um, ready for rehab games sometime within the next month. But that created a massive hole at shortstop, and they thought Kike Hernandez could fill in, and he kind of ended up, you know, not being able to to fill the role well, and and ended up leading the majors in errors. He had left, I think, 14 errors by the time they moved him off the the shortstop spot as a, a starting spot. Um, you know, they they've rotated through Yu Chang, and Yu Chang broke his handmate bone. They brought up, you know, or they signed Pablo Reyes. They brought in kind of any number of guys um from the minor leagues right now david hamilton has been getting a lot of spots so a lot of starts there so it's been a rotating door there and just the lack of consistency there i think kind of has um had a ripple effect across the field um and it just yeah um i think you know even at first base with tristan casas there's been some issues over there of how he's fielding balls and they're trying to you know rework some of his routines um He's been, um, you know, thinking that he, what he's been doing is okay, and they want to try to rework some of the things. So there's just been a lot of um, just, yeah, again, we talked about inconsistency on the offensive side, inconsistency on the defensive side, and it doesn't seem like they can kind of put together long stretches of solid defense. They'll have a game here, a game there. Last night, you know, they had a, a decent game. Um, but uh, but earlier in the week it was it was one one play after another where it was a wide throw a dropped you know a dropped ball a, a missed cutoff you know um, just things that you would think are you know pretty basic I think they're just kind of getting in their own heads because they see you know they they see the the you know the uh, the record tumbling there and you know they can't get out of their own way um, in the bottom of the division so it's uh, you know at the same time they'll they'll look as bad as they have the past you know, week or two. And then like I, like I mentioned before, they'll somehow come out of nowhere and reel off these, you know, big wins. And so it's, it's a very hot and cold team and it's very hard to predict. Um, But the consistency just done across the board pretty much has been uh, the most challenging part, I think for them.
0: With respect to the shortstop position, has it gotten bad enough defensively that like I know David Hamilton, the bat, maybe doesn't project to to hit at the major league level. He was just an average hitter at double a and just an average hitter at triple a. But that's also a guy who has a little bit of pop and stole 70 bases in a season in the minor leagues. At one point, does he just have to do like, like have they reached a point with the shortstop position where if he's just good defensively, he could run with a little bit of playing time here.
2: Yeah, that's kind of basically where they're at right now. That's more or less why they kind of gave him a, a shot because, you know, they figured if they coupled his speed with jaron Duran's speed and duran has obviously you know been a guy that's been in the system but hasn't really found his footing really until this year and he's found you know a pretty good rhythm and is hitting pretty well but he's obviously a very speedy guy um so having duran and hamilton in the lineup they hoped was gonna you know be able to you know capitalize in some of uh, some opportunities, but they just haven't really created much opportunities for themselves. So, um, you know, if, if they can, you know, get on base and then get these guys, you know, in positions to, to steal a couple bags and put pressure on the opposing, you know, pitchers, then um, then that's, you know, what they're looking for. But yeah, I mean um, right now, Hamilton's kind of got the job at shortstop just because there's not, you know, uh, too much else that they can turn to at this point. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, Chang is going to be uh, starting a rehab assignment this weekend. Reyes, um, is, isn't too far out from, from returning. He's been on the IL with, with, uh, an oblique strain, I think it was. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a, it's a lot of injuries and a lot of inconsistency and guys that maybe wouldn't be here, um, you know, that you didn't expect to, to be with the team right now are getting a chance just because there's not, you know, really any other option.
0: All right, let's spin it positive just for a second here uh, on the, on the hitter side. So I I know he's cooled off a little bit in June, but one of the most fun surprises of the, of the major league season early on uh, was Masataka Yoshida. How big or how well rather has he fit in in Boston and helped keep, you know, a a struggling offense afloat for this first half?
2: Yeah, he's been, uh, he's, you know, he's done exactly what they hoped he would do. He's, um, been consistent at the plate he's been one of their better hitters um you know he's shown a little bit of power i think he's still kind of trying to find that um but definitely has kind of the you know when, when he does hit some of those long home runs you can see you know t- see how it would come together and see what they saw when they scouted him in japan and the potential that they saw so yeah he's been he's been in a, like a, a fun guy to watch and you know someone that i think that they're hoping um we'll continue to you know show more what he did in in may especially he got hit on the forearm um i think about a week or so ago so since he's kind of been back he he had a few days off and since he's been back in the lineup he he hasn't really done too much so i'm sure that's um kind of you know he's still probably playing playing through that a little bit um so if he can kind of uh, you know, get back to where he was about a month ago. I mean, I think that'd be a huge uh huge piece for him for the team and obviously for him and but but they've uh you know, that's been one of the brighter spots of the year is kind of seeing um the potential they thought they had in him come through and uh now they just kinda need the rest of the guys in the lineup to uh to be able to kinda uh supplement that.
0: So on the pitching side, we're going to see a Canadian here tonight on Canada Day weekend, a little upset they didn't juggle the rotation to have him start on Canada Day, but what can you do? Uh, James Paxton, since returning in May, has been pretty terrific for this Red Sox team, an ERA just just north of three, um, You know, looking like the James Paxton that the Red Sox had hoped they were getting. Um, is the knee issue that he's been dealing with still uh, an issue at all? Is, is that something that should be on the radar heading into this start?
2: I mean, I, I think it should be on the radar just because, you know, he's uh, he's like, you know, a, a guy coming off uh, several years of injuries, and this is his first healthy season, and uh, and you know, he's 34 too. So there's always kind of, you know, anytime he, you know, so he exited his last start with basically this sore knee and said that he's sort of been dealing with it, but he's, you know thought he could uh, manage his workouts and and get it right before this start tonight. Um, You know, I don't think they'd be, I mean, not that they have a ton of other options, but I also don't think they'd be pushing him to make this start if he wasn't, you know, okay to go. So they, they've said all week, you know, that he's fine. Even last night, of course that, you know, he's fine to go and everything, but, at the same time, you know, the Red Sox have been so injury-bitten that I think they're just, you know, you got to keep an eye on, on all these kind of, um, you know, nagging injuries and if they might flare up again. Um, so, yeah, I think um, he's, he's, he's good to go, but, you know, you're also just keeping an eye on things because, you know, it, it, that's sort of been the way the Red Sox season has gone with a lot of injuries to, to so many guys here.
0: Yeah, there have been no, there's been no shortage of them. Uh, Tanner Houck on the aisle, Chris Sale, of course. And and I know you reported uh, and and had a piece yesterday that Chris Sale's been able to do some, you know, throwing at like 60% and, and, you know, no timeline yet. But he could potentially, it sounds like things are moving in the right direction, at least. Um, Corey Kluber, though, how much of that injury is... Uh, injury and actual shoulder inflammation and, and how much of that is you know, this guy needed a breather with a, an ERA north of seven? I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot to actually answer that part of it, but what does Corey Kluber's future with this Red Sox team look like now that the struggles he's had have extended here into late June?
2: Yeah, it's a good question though. I mean, you know, um, they signed him in the offseason to be in the rotation. I signed him in a one-year $10 million deal and kind of overlooked some of the guys or, you know, didn't work out deals with some of the other free agent pitchers that were out there that maybe, you know, that have definitely had, you know, better seasons than Kluber. Um but uh yeah, they removed him from the rotation about a, a month or so ago, tried him in the in the bullpen and obviously he hasn't really ever pitched in the bullpen. You know, he pitched in the in the playoffs I think like once last year out of the bullpen and, and you know, early in his career, but he's not um he's not really accustomed to throwing in the bullpen and you know, I think it just sort of continued to snowball a little bit, um and wasn't really into the the the, the long man role um that you know they kind of wanted him to to fit into. So yeah, it's a good question. What his future is, you know, does he, you know is does he yeah, spend some time down kind of rehabbing and, and take uh take a little time off and kind of reset or and come back a little bit better or is is this gonna come back and be more of the same? Um, yeah, I mean that's kind of one one of the big question marks looming is what to do about him and, and where he fits, you know, um, going forward. Um, but, um, yeah, they're just going to kind of have to ride that one out and figure out where he is and, um, you know, maybe, you know, hope that he can figure something out when he d- it does start throwing again that gets him more back into a, a more consistent path than he has, you know, over the first uh, entire half of the first season here.
0: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a tough go, and I know he's someone that, that Blue Jays fans were, at least some, were hoping the Jays would kick the tires on. It's interesting to see how that's played out. The Jays have obviously had some of their their own issues with that kind of stuff um, with Alec Manoa, but but where they've spent the money on, on pitches has worked out okay. Um, Jen, I want to ask you about a non-Red Sox one because you had this terrific piece yesterday at The Athletic as well about the people who have to handle the pitch clock. Like, we have this new pitch clock now, and there are a, a, you know, a bunch of anonymous clock watchers as you call them. Um, I guess my primary question is, can they be bought? Can they be persuaded to add or shave a second um, here and there? And more seriously, are you enjoying the brand of baseball that we've gotten? We're at the halfway mark now. I think it's a reasonable time to check in with some of the changes baseballs made. Are you enjoying the, the kind of newish version of, of Major League Baseball?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think most people are. You know, it's it's uh, you know the games are a lot quicker, a lot uh, you know just uh, more uh, easier to watch. I think you know the game had gotten so even for people um, like us that you know love watching baseball and have for so many years. You know the the games that are three three and a half four hours, especially a lot of those Red Sox games. They over the years, uh, we're pushing. So it's four hours uh, often. So I think, um, it's refreshing to see baseball finished, you know, within two and a half, two forty-five, Um, and, uh, and really, yeah, I feel like there's just a, a crisper, um, product on the field and there's not as much lag time, you know, guys hanging on the mound or guys stepping out of the box and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think, I think most people, um, you know, there's still some people that wish, you know, nothing had changed, but I think, most people, most fans and most, you know, players and coaches and, and managers um, appreciate the changes. And, yeah, I just I, – I thought it was fascinating that the whole, you know, the people behind, you know, this uh, this pitch clock revolution are just kind of these part-time employees of the league that have to sit behind this physical button and push it to make sure that, you know, the, the game stays on time. It's just kind of these um, – people that have full-time jobs and they kind of rush over to the park after, after work and then sit there and kind of push the button every 20 seconds or whatever it is to make sure the game stays on, on, on target. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a funny, um, a funny aspect of the whole thing that I think people probably didn't really ever think much of, and maybe some people thought it was automated, but it's actually just real life people. (laughs) And there's, you know, been mistakes and there's been, you know, things that they need to kind of sort out and, um, I think, you know, one of my colleagues in The Athletic, um, Matt Gelb in Philadelphia, wrote a piece a few weeks ago about how, you know, the clock has been a little faster in Philadelphia. And yeah. it, there's room for human error. So, um, yeah, like I think the league is trying to sort that out of trying to, you know, um, make sure all these uh, that are called field timing coordinators are on the right, um, you know, on, on the same kind of wavelength in terms of when they're starting the clock, you know, when exactly, you know, a guy goes into his delivery or a, a batter, you know, uh, when a play, um, you know, is, is made, when to start the clock back up in between, um, all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, of a human element to it. So it's, uh, I think that the changes have been good uh, for the game overall, but yeah, I think there's obviously still some tweaks they're working through. And I, yeah, I just thought it was a uh, kind of an interesting, um, piece to the to the whole bigger picture that, that's that been a big part of the game this year.
0: Well, it was a lot of fun to read and, and it was a great piece. Uh, Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic, thanks so much for taking the time out and thanks for all the great work. All right, thanks for having me. Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic, again, you can go check out that piece on the, the people behind the pitch timer. You can check out all her stuff at The Athletic to get yourself... Caught up and ready for this Jays Red Sox series. It starts tonight at 7 p.m. Jose Barrios against James Paxton. If you want a little more, Blair and Barker will have you five to seven as usual. They'll also have you for Jays talk post game, and then I believe it's Show Ali and Ben Shul- or ben, just maybe just Ben Shulman for Jays talk throughout the weekend. Uh, but either way, no shortage of Jays content. Uh, our pal Madison Shipman, who was on the the show earlier this week, she's joining Ben Wagner for the radio call this weekend. So check that out as well. Uh, thanks to Julia Kreutz, Caitlin McGrath, Jim McCaffrey, and Jay. Jaffe for coming on today. We'll be back uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. because it's a long weekend. Hope you have a fun and safe one. Matt is next on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.